a big day, right? Big day, one of my favorite days in the life of our church. Um, every year as we finish up our Wide Open World Offering series and we come to the point uh, today of making our wow offering over the next seven days where everything that's given financially to our church, we give away uh, to missions in addition to what's given um, out of our regular, uh, our regular budgeted uh, giving already. So big day. I've uh, appreciated so much in this series how much we've talked about um, all that God right, is doing both locally, nationally, uh, and globally um, around the world. We want to invite everybody um, in our church uh, to be part of it. The way that we have said it in this series is that we say yes to a faithful God. It's an expression of, uh, of our core value called reaching priority. We say we do whatever it takes to reach the one. In other words, we want to have this culture of reaching and sending, right? Of doing both of those things, of inviting people, come and see, come and see Jesus, then go and be, go and be the church. We don't want the terminus of our activity to be here, that we all just are Christian people who get together and we're nice to each other. Rather, we want to do what God has called us to do, to go into all the world and, uh, and to make disciples. We want that to be the culture. And you know that culture, right, when you talk about that, culture is tied to a where and a when, right? Uh, aware. So for example, if I'm talking about culture, uh, for me, um, growing up, you know, high school culture, uh, late 80s, early 90s, that would be my when. And my where, as I've said to you a number of times, I grew up in southern Ohio. So you bring my when and my where together, right? And then culture, you develop certain cultural markers, things that make you whatever it is, whatever that culture deems uh, cool or tough or whatever. So like in my high school, for example, um, one of the things that made you tough, one of our cultural markers was a little round circle on the back of your jeans pocket pants, right? Now, some of you who grew up in rural areas in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. I'll show you a picture of it right here. Some of you are like, I got no idea what that is. That was the outline of your skull can or your Copenhagen uh, can if you rubbed or if you dipped. So I wasn't allowed to be a cool person uh, in high school, but a lot of people who had that little circle. So what you would do is you'd take your little your little skull can out, and if you're really cool, you could hold it, you'd put these two fingers around it, and you'd tap it right? With your index finger and that'd make all the tobacco go and you'd take the lid off and take a little pinch of that and you'd put it right there in your lip. You'd walk around with your spit bottle or a can and And those were the cheerleaders at my high school. Like that's what they did. Right? Now that was, that was a cultural marker, right? Um, for us. We want our culture, we want our church to be known as a place where it's not just come and see, but it's, but it's go and be, that we want to reach people to send people. And so if you're here very long and you're part of our church, we are going to invite you to go, to be a part of the mission of making disciples all the way to the ends of the earth. And in this series, we've talked about God's voice, God speaking to Abraham and Sarah in week one. Last week, God's voice to Deborah and Barak. And today we're gonna to talk about God's voice as he spoke to the Old Testament uh, lady, Ruth, right? Now, Ruth's story begins uh, with a couple, uh, Elimelech and Naomi. They lived in Bethlehem in Israel. They were Hebrew, um, and they had two children, Malon and Kilion, two boys. And for whatever reason, <clears throat> there was a number of circumstances that were going on. Elimelech makes the decision to move his family. Uh, it was a moment of panic. I don't know. Was it a moment of uh, midlife crisis? I don't know. But he moves his family out of Israel 
to a foreign country to Moab. Now, Israel and Moab, they were rivals. Rival countries, rival nations. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, you read there that sometimes Hebrew people, they were so rivaled against one another that they wouldn't offer food and water to Moabites who were traveling through the land because of things that had happened in their past. Some tribes in Israel wouldn't even allow Moabite men inside their tribal boundaries. They do not like each other. But Elimelech makes a decision. He moves his family over there to Moab. When they move over there, Malon and Kilion, eventually, they marry Moabite women, Naomi, or excuse me, Orpha and Ruth, right? So after whom the book is named. So you've got Elimelech married to Naomi. You've got the two boys, Malon and Kilion, married to Ruth um, and to Orpha. After some time, chapter one says that Elimelech, kind of uh, the, the patriarchal leader of that family in their culture, he dies. And before long, in the span of about a decade, Malon and Kilion die as well. And so now you've got the matriarch of the family, Naomi, who's Hebrew, living in Moab with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Naomi, both who were Moabites. Now, in a Moabite culture, Naomi would have merited, because she was from a foreign country, not just a foreign country, but a rival country, she would have merited very little value in their culture. She was past childbearing um, years. She realizes her future. So she tells her daughters-in-law, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And she paints a picture of her future there. She says, when I go back, I'll live on social assistance. It's going to be incredibly difficult. For the rest of my life, I'll be under-resourced, most likely marginalized in a lot of ways in my culture. You young ladies, stay here. Stay in Moab. Remarry Moabite men. Have children. Um, your families, your lineage, your line, your legacy will be sustained. Orpha, one of her daughters-in-law, even though she struggled, she looked at Naomi and she said, you're right. I'm going to stay. And no one blamed her. No one blamed her for doing that. However, Ruth struggled more. And Ruth indicates to Naomi that she's probably going to go with her back to Bethlehem. And so Naomi tries to talk her out of it again, and then Ruth responds. That's where we're going to pick the narrative up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. And she, this being Naomi speaking to Ruth, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But here's Ruth's response. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there, uh, and there will I be buried. It's interesting to me that we most often hear these verses um, at weddings, and they have nothing to do really with the context of romantic love. Rather, they are written in the context, not just of friendship, but of missional family friendship and relationship. Ruth says to Naomi, look, I, I understand. I understand what the future holds. I understand what it looks like. But I'm saying to you, it's not just that I love you, Naomi, but I love your God. Versus the gods of the Moabite gods that I know and serve and versus the things that have, I see a difference in you because of your God and I want that same difference in my life. So where you go, I'll go, yes, but your God is going to be my God. 
And I know it's going to be incredibly difficult. And I know there's very little opportunity that we're going to have a sustained legacy as we go back to Bethlehem. But Ruth is willing. She is willing to leave her father's house, her father's homeland, right, to go to Bethlehem. She is because she knows Naomi's not, I mean, Naomi's going to lose her life, right? So Ruth is willing to give up her life so that Naomi can have a life. Does this sound familiar uh, to us at all? Right? Our Savior left heaven. Jesus left heaven, came to earth. Why? Because he knows without us, us without him, we, we're going to lose our lives. So he gives up his life in his father's house, comes to Bethlehem, right, for us, for the purpose of dying on ours. He gave up his life so that you and I, so that we could have life. That's the, the miraculous nature of grace and the gospel, that Jesus would give his life for us, pay for it on the cross, be miraculously resurrected so that we have proof that we have future and that we have, and that we have a hope. And so in a sense, we see part of Jesus in the life and the commitment um, of Ruth. But basically, if I could say it to you this way, Ruth is saying to Naomi that your God is better than my comfort. I'm willing to give up comfort. I'm willing to give up security because I believe that your God is better. He is better than those things. Here's how she kind of seals the deal with Naomi in verse 17. The next verse, may the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. In a sense, she says to Naomi, Naomi, look, I'm willing to die for you. It's pretty amazing when you think about this is not, um, this is not her natural, this is her mother-in-law, right? That she has seen this kind of difference in, this kind of change, this kind of transformation. And so God speaks to her. And in a sense, we've always looked, I, I think we've always looked at Ruth and we've sensed God's voice, God's calling um, in her life. And we've talked about that each week. God's calling Abraham, Sarah, God's calling Deborah and Barak. God's calling here, God's voice, God's speaking to Ruth. And for me, I'll say that growing up in church, this was confusing. This idea of calling. Um, so I want to spend the next five to seven minutes just kind of teasing that out um, a little bit. When I grew up in church, the, the way, the language that we used was, are you called to preach? That was the, that's how we said it. That's how we kind of expressed it. And that was the narrow lane really of ministry calling. One generation's uh, emphasis, right, and excess becomes the next generation's opposite. So what's happened is we've swung the pendulum all the way to the other side now where we say, well, everybody's, everybody's called. And in a sense, there's some truth there. But somewhere in the, uh, in the expanse of that spectrum, I think the Bible gives us some clarity around this idea of a vocational calling to ministry. And you're like, man, why are you even talking um, about this? I think it's critical for the next generation of the church here in America because um, numbers right now say that young people um, entering into vocational ministry are trending downward and they're trending downward quickly. And I think part of that is it's just because it's fuzzy. And we don't do a good job as a church, generally speaking, um, of expressing what it means uh, to have vocational calling when it comes to ministry. So generally, you've got to look 1 Timothy 3 in the New Testament, Titus chapter 2, and I'll do my best in the next couple of minutes just to give you a framework uh, for calling. 
First of all, there's a personal side to it. First Timothy chapter three, verse one says that somebody who aspires, that's the word that's used there, towards ministry aspires to a good thing. So the first question is, do you wanna do it? Is it part of the dream of God that God has birthed um, in you? It's a very personal thing. God empowers all of us with spiritual gifts. If you're his, if you're a believer, God's spirit has empowered you with at least one gift. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you understand your spiritual gift, the context of how it can be used in the body? And is that something that, that you're leaning towards, that you're aspiring into? And a call towards ministry is a call towards um, preparation. It's the idea that you and I um, understand that if vocational ministry is in your future, that you're probably going to do that. You're probably going to minister in relative obscurity for a long time. For Jesus, it was 30 years. 30 years, we really have very little record of anything that he did until his public ministry began. Um, for the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, if we add up the years correctly, it was about 18 years from when he first came to know Christ till he took his first public mission trip. I'll say that I had that similar experience um, in my life. I went to uh, Ohio State in 1989, began to experience and express calling there. It's 2004 before I became a lead pastor when we um, launched LifePoint here. So you're gonna do ministry in obscurity as God makes sure that your character matches your calling. He's working that out in you. So it's, um, it's personal. Secondly, um, it's biblical. Um, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 2 have lists of character qualities that are um, essential for church leaders in the context of the New Testament church. And there's a bunch of them. You can go look at them. You can read them. One of those um, is that um, people who take this step towards vocational uh, ministry um, are above reproach. What does that mean? That means as you take a step like this, you basically, you're putting your life into a fishbowl. You're not perfect. I'm certainly uh, not perfect. I don't know anyone who is. And at the same time, you're saying that you're willing to sacrifice personal liberties for kingdom realities. There are certain things you're not going to do. There are certain places you're not going to go. There are certain things you're not going to say. Why? Because of the reflection that you are as people look at you and see, right? They see God through your life um, and through your ministry. There's also the aspect that James chapter 3 um, says in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3 as well indicates that we uh, for folks who are in ministry but we judge more strictly. Literally, James says that we will be double judged. That's the literal wording. I don't know what that means but I find it generally terrifying. Um, the third thing is that it's relational, right? That you understand your relational wiring and there are personality tests that are ad nauseum, right, um, in our culture. Uh, but 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul encourages Timothy there. He says, listen, do not neglect the gift of God that was conferred upon you in the laying on of hands. There was a group of people who gathered around Timothy's life and said, man, we see this. We see this calling in you. Uh, the old Puritans, they used to have what they called a calling committee. When someone said they were called uh, to, towards vocational ministry, um, they would gather a group of people and they would say, we're going to walk with you through this process until we see it, right? Until we see it and we kind of bless um, this, this sense uh, of calling in your life. So do others gather around your life and they say, yeah, absolutely. We see it. We're, we're walking with you. So when you think about, you know, calling those three things, when they come together, I think you can begin to say, I think I've got 
a sense of calling towards vocational ministry. So, you know, PBR, which I understand is also the acronym for the professional bull riding tour, which is kind of like ministry. Um, but those things come together. I think you can say, you know what? I'm starting to see and sense God's activity mind. Now, the reason I wanted to say all that to you is to say, you may, you may look, you, you may say, uh, people may say to you, you know what? You're a great listener. You, um, you express empathy very well. I think you should go into ministry. And you may say, man, people come or may come around you and say it, but you may not aspire to it. So what do you do? You use the relational gifts that God has given you, empowered by God's spirit, to continue to do ministry in the context of your local church. You can do that through life groups. You can do that through going to assisted living facilities. You can do that through being aware of the people and the places and spaces that are around you at work for the opportunities to express um, biblical empathy. Um, you, you may say, um, you know what? Um, personally, um, I feel like here's how I'm wired, here's how I'm gifted, but you know what? That whole idea of putting my life in a fishbowl kind of thing, I don't, that's not something that I aspire to. That's not something that, that I want to do. So what do you do? You use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, empowered by God's spirit in the context of God's local church. That's the difference, I believe, between vocational calling and assignments. And I believe what we see in Ruth's life is that God gave her an assignment. God assigned her to Naomi and Ruth wraps her heart and her mind and her life around this incredible, incredible assignment. So much so that the writers of the Old Testament, right, have said she's an example. Ruth is an example for us to follow. How do we do that? We have the opportunity, what we've been talking about in this series, to do what we sang about earlier, to make our lives available, to live open-handed, to say, God, you can, you can have it all. Here I am. You created me, you wired me, you brought me to this place right now, this moment, you heard Wesley say it this morning, this moment, this spot, you are here intentionally. You didn't just arrive here. A sovereign God has been active in your life and has brought you to this moment because he wants to use you. And so we as a church have the opportunity to kind of become a calling committee alongside of some other churches, some other ministries through this wide open world, uh, offering through sending people, for example, um, this year, we have the opportunity uh, to partner alongside of a new uh, church on um, campus at Purdue uh, University. All the Purdue fans. Gotcha. <laughs> Boiler up, hammer down, right? We gotcha. On, on Purdue's campus, um, Jordan and Jessamy Adams, I'll show you their picture up here. They came out of a, of a church plant, a college ministry, and there were college students who graduated who said, you know what, we're going to move with Jordan and Jessamy. We're going to go to Purdue, and we're going to plant a church close to their campus, and we're going to start a campus ministry. And then out of that campus ministry, they'll challenge a group of freshmen that when they are seniors, they're going to go with another church planter to a different campus, plant another church, start another campus ministry, and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And it is our blessing to come along, to come alongside them. I challenged um, our church in the first week of the series that all of us who are believers can have a God conversation. Not twisting somebody's arm, not trying to convince somebody, but just talking and sharing about what God's activity is in your life and what God is doing in and around you and sharing that with somebody else. You leave the results in God's hands. It's not, it's not up to us. It's so freeing. 
I was talking, I was at breakfast uh, with a friend of mine, and you know at the end, sometimes when we get to the end of a series, we'll pass out um, what we call invite cards, or little index-sized cards. And so we had um, gotten to the end of a series. We were getting ready to start the series previous, which was called Playlist. This is our Playlist card, right? The series we did in the Psalms. So he took a card. And that Sunday he said, okay, God, help me, help me invite somebody. And he said, I got busy that week, and um, it was... Friday, Saturday, and um, he said, I'm sitting at a, like, a, like a T intersection. I'm the front car right here at the, at the T intersection. I look down, and there's that card sitting in my car. And I look down, and I said, God, I'm so, I've gotten busy. I haven't thought about it. If you give me somebody to invite, God, if you'll just make it clear to me, give me somebody to invite, I'll do it. He said, I put the, car, put the card down, kind of looked up, and all of a sudden, there's a horn honking, right? And a car going by the T intersection. One of my coworkers with a hand out the top of the car, out the, the, the no, I was going to say T-tops. Now that, that dates me, right? <laughs> out, the, out the top of the car, waving as they went by. And he's like, okay, God, I get it. I get it. He said, I went back to work that afternoon, invited my coworker, and they've been to church five out of the last six weeks. Now, is every opportunity going to go that way? No. But over the long arc of the course of your life, I believe that if you and I make our lives available, God's going to use our lives in some incredible, confirming, affirming ways to, to your gifts. And for Ruth, it's, it's incredible to me to think about her saying yes. And well, think about it from this perspective. If you're a parent, Let's say, you're, um, let's say you send your kid off to Purdue, right? You send your kid, your kid becomes a Boilermaker, right? And they're going to get an engineering degree because that's what everybody at Purdue does, right? And they're going to work really, really hard. And they're, they go through four years and they've done an internship here in Columbus. And you know they're going to come home and they've got a job lined up, $80,000, $90,000 a year job is going to be their starting salary. And you're so proud they're a Boilermaker, right? And you're ready for them to take that step until they come home on spring break of their senior year. And they say, you know what? My Lord, God's changed my life through the chapel Purdue with Jordan and Jessamy. So instead of coming home and taking a job for eighty dollars or $90,000 a year, I think what I really want to do is I want to move over here to Ball State with this group of me and my friends who are going to go over here and we're going to plant another church and start another campus ministry. And this job's probably only going to pay me fifty dollars or $60,000 a year, not eighty dollars or $90,000 a year. Why would somebody do that? Because they're saying your God is better than my comfort. That they're willing to sacrifice personal liberties for kingdom realities. Is there anything wrong with taking a job for eighty or $90,000 a year? No, absolutely not. But it may be that God is giving you or one of your children an assignment. God's grace, this is what Ruth is saying, God's grace is better for me than a comfortable life. And I would say to you, God's grace is better for you. Ima just imagine, think about this way. Imagine your in-laws, right? I love my in-laws. I love my in-laws. They were here, they were with me for six days. This past week, they stayed in our house. We had a wedding shower and um, we had a graduation and we had a family baptism. So they came into town um, and they stayed for six days. And I, this is how much I love my mother-in-law. That's how much I love her. Um, I, I, I said okay to my mother-in-law to bring her dog 
into my house for six days inside my, not outside my house, inside my house for six days. And I know some of y'all think I hate dogs. I don't hate dogs. Here's the picture uh, to prove it, right? Me and Weston. You know what that picture proves? You can fake anything for six days. That's what that picture proves. I just think about, think about, think about your mother-in-law, your father-in-law coming to you and your mother-in-law listen, Hey, we just decided that um, God wants us to move to uh, the Soviet Union or Mongolia. We're going to move to Mongolia and it's going to be really, really cold and we're going to be really, really poor, uh, but we're going to do it because we've got this sense of, are you going to do that? Like, I'm not doing that, right? But Ruth says to her mother-in-law, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Your God is better to me than my comfort. Now, through an incredible set of circumstances, Ruth and Naomi, they go back to Bethlehem. And for a while, it's really, really difficult. And everything that Naomi said is true. But along the way, what happens is that Ruth meets a guy named Boaz. And God had prepared Boaz through an incredible set of circumstances to be the exact person to fall in love with Ruth. They fall in love and they have a child. And Naomi and Ruth's legacy is sustained in Israel through that. And when that child um, is born, it just, this is so poignant at the end of Ruth and Ruth chapter four, it says, so Boaz took Ruth, this is verse 13, by the way, of Ruth chapter four. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. Not the son that you just bore, but your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. I love it that the women, the women look at Naomi. And right now think about um, in their culture, sons, right? If you had lots of sons, like you were set, you were secure. That was your inheritance, your, your future. You had sons, but not just, not just sons, seven sons. Seven in their world, right? Number of completion. That was, that was for every parent, like that would be, um, that would feel like the grace of God unimaginable in your life to have seven sons. And they look at her and they say, Ruth, is better to you than seven sons. And if you and I have somebody like Ruth, we have something better. God's grace is better for you than a comfortable, secure life. And so we make our lives available to the God who made himself available to redeem us, to pardon us, to pay for our sins. We say to him, here I am. So it's, um, it's your opportunity and my opportunity today to take your next missional step. Whatever that is, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, and you've come to the understanding that Jesus died for your sins, paid for those, redeemed you, was resurrected for you, and you say, you know what, I'm going to bring my life into alignment with the sacrifice of Jesus. Maybe that's your next missional step. Maybe your next missional step is to say, you know what, this coming year, I'm going to take the step. I'm going to make myself available to go, uh, to go on a trip. 
One of our mission trips going nationally or going going globally. Maybe your next missional step is to say today, I'm going to take a step of generosity. Then I'm going to give over and above what I normally give to the wide open world offering to see a difference. Man, God did some incredible things um, through our church last year, through this missions offering. And we believe that God wants to do a lot more. So last year we had a goal of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. We barely exceeded that. This year, our goal is $325,000. You're like, Dean, that's crazy across all five of our campuses. That's, that's 60 some percent, I mean, that's, but it's what we believe, God. We believe, hey, we sent 84 people last year. We wanna send 150 people this year. We wanna send more long-term missionaries um, than, than we've sent in our past. We are prayerful toward us. So maybe that's your step today. Maybe you need to take a step of saying, you know what? It, God is speaking to me about vocational ministry. Man, we would love to engage you about that conversation whatever ways we can help, whatever ways that we can help you uh, to prepare for, um, for that future. You can have it all. That's what we say to God. You gave it all for us, so you can have it all. And the joy of Christianity, the joy of Christianity is to be both at the same time, this, have this great sense of grace that you have been forgiven for your sins and that you're being used by that same God to share that grace with others. Come and see, go and be. God, it is our joy as we reach the end, uh, God, of this series to understand that it's really the beginning of everything that you are wanting to do in and through our church in mission around the world this year. Mid-Ohio, Midwest in the world. God, we want our culture to be both reaching and sending. Would you empower us, God, by your spirit to do incredible things, to help us uh, reach people, to do incredible things in us and around us. And God, it'll be our blessing to, uh, to be part of whatever your activity is. It's in your name we pray. Here we are. Amen.